0: Welcome back to The Dwellings Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Mack, and we're continuing in our series, Future Shifts of the Church. We're covering three main shifts that we feel like God's calling us to make in the way we do discipleship. And the first shift is helping bring people from isolation to family. So we've been covering what it means to be a spiritual family. But while we've been discussing this, we've gotten some feedback from some of you that you're actually in the middle of working through wounds from church or spiritual community that you need to address before we can move ahead. So we're inserting this bonus episode for those of you that want to embrace the concept of spiritual family, but you're just still working through some things. So I brought my friend Kathleen Doyle on with us today. Kathleen has a master's in pastoral counseling and over 25 years of experience in the field. She's a leader of the Rock cohort that I've been a part of, so that's how we met and she has decades of experience leading in the church, spending time at Saddleback, Vintage LA, and Rock Harbor, all in California. And now she has her own practice where she does business consulting and pastoral counseling, and she serves churches and leaders everywhere. So my friend Kathleen has a lot of wisdom for us today if we want family, but we're still wrestling because family has heard us. Thank you so much for being on with us today, Kathleen.
1: Thank you so much. It's really good to be with you.
0: All right. So, this is a tough subject in a way, but I think sometimes, like most tough subjects, it's easier to just avoid the conversation and to live too long, kind of having it in the back of your mind and not addressing it. But Mm -hmm. we want to hit it head on today and talk about family but Mm -hmm. we want to address the fact that sometimes family is, is hard Mm -hmm. and we're releasing this around the the holidays. And a lot of people are feeling just the fact that their biological families have had pain, but we know too, when we're talking about spiritual families, that there can be pain that holds us back from really growing in community for the future. And so wanted to get some thoughts from you today. Um, with your experience in pastoral counseling, your experience in the church. Because what I keep hearing over and over from so many people is that they, they love Jesus. Um, Mm -hmm. They want to pursue him, but they're disconnected from the church and from spiritual family. They're doing a lot of that growth in isolation. Um, And a lot of that is because of some prior wounding. And so I just wanted to ask you, how do we disentangle our relationship with Jesus, um, the Jesus that we love and want to pursue and the pain that we might've had from a wounding church experience in the past?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's an easy, I don't think it's an easy thing to do is get those things disentangled. Um, there's so much overlap in scripture about our relationship with the Lord being so connected to our relationship with people. So when relationships with people go badly, especially in the body of Christ, it's it inevitably taints all of it. And I think there was a reason Jesus was so frustrated and angry with the religious leaders because their bad behavior interfered with people's relationship with God. And so when things go wrong at church I do think even scripture shows that it really can mess with how we view God um, and how we experience him. And so part of it is trying to stay honest. One of the beautiful parts of scripture and one of the hard parts of scripture is it is so honest. And Mm -hmm. if you look at the life of Jesus, his relationships were so hard and his relationships with leaders were was extremely difficult with church leaders, with political leaders. So he models that for us. And there really is not a promise that we're going to have it a whole lot easier. So I think some of it is a healthy reminder that people are broken and we get it wrong. And that are we all know this. I'm not going to say anything that the people listening don't know, but we know our Lord is Jesus. You know, the goodness in our life is the Holy Spirit. It's not each other. Um, but part of, I think, disentangling Jesus from those stories is getting rooted back in scripture and mm-hmm. getting really honest and detaching our view of church from some of our cultural expectations and our movie version of relationship and our you know christian fiction book (laughs) version (laughs) of relationships and really getting it grounded in like no this is going to be tough There are going to be wolves among the sheep um that doesn't mean god's word isn't good and it doesn't mean that i'm not surrounded by some good people but the bad ones will be part of this and that is in scripture and i have to be ready for that and wise about that um So I think disentangling is staying attached to really good biblical perspective on who Jesus is and getting back to biblical roots and and a little bit out of cultural roots. There is a culture in the church and sometimes it's biblically sound and sometimes it's not. And it's getting, you know, honest conversations about how to weed those things out and separate them out a bit.
0: That's a really good answer. Well, from stories that we've all heard there are different levels of hurt along the spectrum yeah. and so many different terms kind of being thrown around to describe that hurt and one term that I've heard more in recent years is spiritual abuse. So that's a that's a harder term to hear and I think a lot of us don't really understand what that means exactly. Could you describe to us the difference between just wounding in the church and spiritual abuse and some examples of each of those. So we might know how to define things better.
1: Right. Yeah. I think both of them can do a lot of damage. So if I were to give an analogy, it's almost the difference between a car accident that happens by a genuine accident and a car accident that happens by a drunk driver, you're still going to get hurt. So Mm. just because they're different, I'm not trying to say that um, one is, Less painful. They can both create a lot of pain. But pretty much if you sum up abuse, there's an exploitive. It's a misuse of the relationship, and it's in an intentional misuse of the relationship. So I'm exploiting the people that I'm around. I'm deceiving the people that I'm leading or I'm surrounded by. And I'm often using scripture or I'm using um, emotional manipulation to get things in my favor and to work to my benefit and often to avoid responsibility. So an abusive spiritual leader will lie to people, will have, you know, kind of live two different lives and not be honest about that. Um, We'll try to get people to really defer to them. So they might intimidate people, they might charm people. Um, They'll find ways to get people to serve their needs. And it's really ultimately a one-way street in many ways. So I may give you good teaching and I may give you a little nod or a little, you know, hey there, but really you're not getting that much from me, but I know how to gather a group of people. And from there, I'm getting a lot moving in my direction. So I might be financially exploiting people, or I might be exploiting people to give me a lot of attention well, I avoid building up the body of Christ, I mm-hmm. totally avoid discipleship so that I become the pinnacle or I become the hub and the center of attention. And I benefit from having all that power, or I just benefit generally from having power. And, um, and so you're not really being built up. You're not really being discipled. I don't know you, I'm not caring for you, but I'm getting a lot Of advantages from this relationship and you're giving a lot and receiving minimal, I think that's when you start seeing people get really hurt. Um, And in spiritual abuse, you know, you'll see things, you know, some of the recent stories that that have come out um, is people are asked to give up a lot, um, a lot of time, a lot of resources to serve a particular leader. Mm. And, leader benefits a lot from all of that service it's in the name of your being discipled or your sacrificing for christ but behind all of that the leader is receiving the benefits more than anybody else so someone might be using scripture um, again using emotional manipulation to gain a lot i would say wounding is can be just as damaging but it's not it's not rooted in an abuse of the relationship. I'm not necessarily out to exploit your good nature or to you know use scripture highly to my personal advantage, but I might still misuse scripture. I might overemphasize. I'm not using the full counsel of scripture. Um, and so I'm really honing in on one issue that I have a particular fear around or I have a particular need around and so I'm kind of drilling that thing into you. Um but I'm not benefiting a lot necessarily but it's not necessarily good teaching and it's not necessarily something that's helping you out but you're getting wounded by it. And so I would say we you and I had talked briefly on the phone about it but just kind of the um purity movement you know mm-hmm. that happened in the 80s and the 90s, where I think it was well-intentioned. I think a lot of youth leaders particularly were trying to protect kids from making bad decisions and um, having regrets and trying to keep them biblically on track. But it kind of started taking a direction where it it became very fear-mongering and fear-based and um, unhealthy. Shame-inducing. You know? A lot of shame and a lot of public expressions. Yeah around things that kids are like I don't even know what I think or who I am yet. You know, and I'm making this big declaration with this ring. And mm-hmm. and I as so you and I talked about I didn't grow up in any of this. I grew up totally secular. Um and so I don't want to claim I'm not an expert on the topic of the purity culture, but I know enough to know people have felt really wounded by it. I think a lot of people were well intentioned in what right. they were trying to help teenagers navigate. But they might've just gone a little extra biblical and off the rails a bit and, and socially handled things in a way that were not as constructive as they thought they might be. So, um, so, and I'm sure abuse happened in that as well. But I think the point is when it's abuse, I'm really benefiting quite a bit from it. And I know things you don't know. You know, yeah. I know I'm hiding money or I know I've got secret relationships going on or, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah. you got, you're in the dark on all of it. Yeah. Um, and so usually that's where the extra layer of recovery takes place of not only do I feel hurt, but I also feel really fooled by this person. And I feel taken advantage of um, that my sincere devotion to Christ or my sincere devotion to the body of believers was totally exploited. yeah. And that's a whole other layer of recovering of, of betrayal. And sometimes they call that betrayal trauma. And um, so there is spiritual abuse. It is a thing, but not every wound is necessarily abuse.
0: Yeah. That's an important distinction. I mean, we've heard too many stories in the past you know, three or four years of spiritual abuse coming out. And we don't want to, uh, we want to make sure there's room for that term. But we also want to use that accurately and not use the term spiritual abuse for every hurt that happens in the church. But wouldn't you say that anybody who's been a part of the church for a decade would have wounds of some sort, just because we're dealing with humans? I mean, obviously there's varying levels but wouldn't you say most people are struggling with some sort of wound if they've been involved in the church for a time? Hundred percent. Yeah. And
1: you know, just because it's the church doesn't mean it, it, that we aren't messy. I can love yeah. Jesus. It doesn't. It doesn't fix all my problems just because I love Jesus. Um. And it doesn't it necessarily improve all my my flaws. And you, someone else is going to have to deal with those. Yeah. And um, so I absolutely think there's wounds. I think there's a reason. Even going back to scripture, if I really read it and I remove the culture of our, our Western culture around church, you read it and you read about Judas, you know, you read about Peter's betrayal, you read that everybody right. Jesus. like, if we're really honest about it, that's a story we need to pay attention to is as much as we know the Holy Spirit came and deposited God's word in us, you still have Ananias and Sapphira right after that. Right. So, it's gonna be tough and there will be wounding. I think where it gets difficult is we try to act like there isn't wounding. Yeah. Or when it is wounding, we don't have any tools for how to effectively heal it.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, this is just my opinion, but I really think we've abandoned healthy views of correction and rebuke. Think in the name of not being judgmental. We don't have very many tools to stop the predator. And to stop the person who shows up and is really deceptive, yeah. Um, and we sort of ask the victim just keep forgiving seventy times seven. Yeah. And we don't really, because it's honestly, I think if a lot of people are honest, it's the path of least resistance. The victim yeah. isn't even so the problem, so if you just tell the victim seventy times seven, that's easier for me. Than to go after the perpetrator who's probably deceptive, who's probably difficult and manipulative and hot tempered or whatever. So I don't want to talk to them. So right. I tell the other person just keep putting up with it instead of having courage and a backbone and going to the difficult person and going, we're kind of having trouble with what you're doing, how you're right. treating? Me.
0: you're mm-hmm. right. and and I think even uh, as you're talking, that the scripture, Matthew eighteen, where it's saying, you know if if your brother sinned against you, you go to him directly. And then, you know, if that doesn't work, then you take a brother with you like that's a really good conflict resolution scripture that we've used. But there are some cases where if you're in spiritual abuse and that's the advice to go back straight to that person alone, there's some stunting of being able to have insight and heal because there's some power dynamics that make that scripture not quite appropriate for something of that level, if that makes sense. I I do know particularly some women who have been in situations uh, with a a man that has been abusive Mm -hmm. and they've been told to go back to that person one-on-one again and again, and the situation hasn't gotten better. So I think those are some things that um, you're right. Like we have to be taught to differentiate between abuse and wounds and knowing actually how to deal with them, how to expect them. And then and then deal with them because yeah, the wounding is going to be, it's going to be pervasive. Spiritual abuse is more pervasive than we wish, but wounding is, is pervasive. I've caused wounding. I've been in leadership for years and I I'm sure I've caused wounding with parts of myself that weren't healthy that I was yeah. operating out of and seasons of leadership and going back, you know, I I'm like, Oh, now that I'm healthier in this area, I know why I responded that way. And I wish I could go back and and change it. But I, I think you're right, having tactics to know how to handle wounds, how to deal with conflict with people that have caused wounds, mm-hmm. versus how to deal with spiritual abuse and, and kind of our role in it. That's, that's super important. Yeah. I think a question that I've heard people ask a lot is, you know, as we've said, we know, humans are messy church can be hard because humans are there, we're all there. Mm-hmm. But I think it's hard for a lot of people to know when it's like a normal level of messy mm-hmm. like humans are there that you know, I've heard wise people say go try to find a perfect church and but once you get there it's not perfect or something like that. but how how do we know when we're past the point of normal messy human, church that we need to like push through show perseverance and when we are in a situation where it's so damaging it's to the point of abusive and we need to actually make a move and like find a new spiritual family a new church family how do we go about thinking about that
1: yeah I think it's um You'll see symptoms. I think when it's really in bad shape, you start to see symptoms. And the symptoms are, for example, maybe high staff turnover. So the people who are closest to the decision-making power, you're seeing turnover after turnover after turnover for an extended period of time. I think there can be moments in a church history, almost like if you remember... Did you ever do home? Did you have homeroom? Did you go to normal like school where you had yeah. to do? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, every year it's different and you can have a good teacher and one year the homeroom's great. And the next year it's like really weird and it doesn't work. So you can have a bad patch in a church and I don't, you know, you can have a patch where a couple people take off in a short amount of time, bad hires, bad fit, etc. I wouldn't freak out because of that. But if it's a pattern that goes on for a long time, that's. There's something going on at the top level. And if every story is the Lord transition them out and, you know, and there's always a new story for why the team is constantly leaving. I would pay attention to that. I pay attention to the people who are in closest proximity to leadership and decision makers. And if those people are stable and they look happy and they're sticking around, that's a great sign.
0: Hmm.
1: you have a lot of turnover and they're all leaving and there's a lot of they leave and they never come back and it's disgruntled and it's negative. That is not, that's a bad sign. And what can happen, it's like any person who's really maybe charming and charismatic, they will know how to put on a certain image externally that the family members at home see someone completely different. And Hmm. when the When you see the family members, whether it's work family or home family are miserable around someone who looks really amazing, that should be at least a bright yellow flag, if not a flaming red flag, but where it, you know, that it becomes, it, it goes from messy to toxic is when there's a lot of deception. When you start catching stories that don't add up and things that don't make sense um, and excuses that don't really take into account victims. Um, I think that's probably the, the thing I've noticed in the last several years back when I was younger and a new believer, if someone made a mistake, the real, the consequences were harsh. I mean, you could be brought up in front of the entire church and like publicly shamed. Yeah. That was the eighties and the nineties. Now it's, Oh, we're so glad you confessed. And there's almost no care or attention to the victim. Um, and so I would say where you know it's toxic is when there's just a lot of excuses made, a lot of cover up for bad behavior, when you see a lot of symptoms like something's not right around this person or these people. Like there's a lot of unhappy people there, like I said, there's a lot of turnover. And yet, no one knows why. And it's always the victims, you know, it's always someone else's fault. It's always the person who left. It's always their fault. It's not, ne- there's, we're not saying there's a common denominator in this leadership team where everyone who gets close to this person, regardless of age, ethnicity, you know, gender, anyone who gets close to this person blows out. Yeah. When you start seeing that, you know, something's wrong. Um. So I would say that's, important is if you just notice those patterns and then just general chaos. I've just, the older I get, the more I realize when you're around something that's really chaotic, often, not always, but often there's a lie that's being hidden. Someone's avoiding responsibility for their part. There's something going on and it benefits someone to keep the pot stirred and to not have clarity. And Mm. if there's a lack of clarity and if you continue to stir the pot, nobody's noticing what I'm doing. If we Mm. can keep a little chaos in the mix. So I'm pretty careful the older I get around things that feel consistently chaotic because often there's something underneath that chaos and it benefits someone to keep things in chaos. So mostly though, deception, mind games, gaslighting, intimidation, um, and then it's often infused with charm, rewards, you know, compliments. And people get really confused. They're like, what am I dealing with? And they, you know, you'll hear the term cognitive dissonance. And people can't get, get their bearings. They can't tell if this person's whether it's a leader, like, do you like me? Do you not like me? Are we in good standing? Are you angry? You know, and people start getting consumed with whether or not the leader approves of them. And now they're off topic. It's not really biblically grounded anymore. We're not talking about discipleship anymore. We're not reaching the world anymore. We're not inviting the Holy Spirit anymore. We're kind of consumed with whether or not this leader is happy with us. When you start seeing that, that's also a pretty bad sign that something's really off.
0: Narcissism issues. Some of yeah. those coming in. That's what I hear as you're describing that last that last part, Right. Right. Yeah. And a narcissistic type leader
1: loves power, loves attention, loves control and discipleship. The church will be centered on keeping that person supplied narcissistically as opposed to empowered spiritually to be light and salt in the world. And when you hear people mention the leader's name far too much, when it's about what the leader said and the leader did, that's not a good sign when there's one leader and everybody else is sort of backb- background players, congregation staff is very much in the background. Those are not good signs. Like it,
0: yeah. Signs yeah. of lack of accountability, lack of community, lack of collaborative decision making. Yeah. All of that is is a concern.
1: Yeah, and the reason you know we gather is to worship the Lord together and. The body of Christ is designed to build each other up, not build up one person, but build each other up. And we've all been given different gifts and, you know, however you want to say it. I mean, we could parse that out of assignments or whatever, but we've all been, di- been given different gifts. We all need each other. And when it's unhealthy, you start seeing it really center around very few people become again that hub, and everyone else is sort of peripheral. Yeah, they're everyone's, they're your assistant. You yeah. know, it, it's not a very flat org chart. Everybody's the assistant to and the support role to the main the one support. power at
0: the top. Yeah, yeah. Well, what type of support should anyone listening seek out so that they're not walking through? a messy situation alone? Like, should you possibly seek out relationships outside of the church environment that you're in? Is that a healthier thing to do? Um, Is it gossip to talk about it within your relationships within the church? Give us some direction on that.
1: Yeah, I do think when it's toxic and abusive, there's a lot of mind games that go into relationships that are abusive. And part of what allows abuse to flourish is isolation. So the the topic moves from, let's say I'm in, in relationship with someone with pretty bad behavior. We won't talk about, they will not allow us to talk about their bad behavior. But if I try to mention it, we'll talk about the fact that I'm difficult or I'm dramatic. If I wanna process it outside of the abusive relationship, I'm disloyal or I've betrayed them. So part of abuse is isolation. And so part of healing is to get healthy perspectives outside of the abusive dynamic. Mm -hmm. And usually the way you know it's abusive would be things like I'm really anxious or this is all-consuming you know, it's almost becomes like an addiction where my the rest of my life is getting more and more narrow and more and more focused. And this person or this institution is the only thing that I have going on. And if I'm not there or I'm not totally loyal to this one human being, somehow I feel exceptionally guilty. I feel like I'm missing out. I feel like um, I'm betraying God. And so we've replaced God and, and Jesus with this person or this institution. And so getting some distance from that is usually the thing that starts to clear your head a bit and clear the fog a bit. So often it is important. I wouldn't do a big, public campaign. You know, I wouldn't be talking in a Bible study with 10 other people and things like that, but wise counsel, especially with someone who's maybe already experienced some level of abuse or toxicity in a spiritual environment, seeking that person out, honestly, reading books and doing podcasts, if you're not ready to talk about it, or you don't feel you have a safe person, at least educate yourself. And start listening to people's stories and reading about symptoms that describe abuse so that you're starting to understand the difference between, hey, this is just a tough relationship and a tough patch. We've got to work right. it out. And this is actually really unhealthy. And um, therapy, obviously, counseling can be really helpful because of the confidential nature of things. And then, like you said, if you have wise counsel outside your church, talk to them. You know, Let fresh air in. And if there are things, this is true of any relationship, obviously I don't have to air all my dirty laundry with my, you know, with everybody, but if I have things I'm covering up, because I know if you heard this, you would think something was wrong. So I don't want to tell you, because if I tell you now it threatens my capacity, you might tell me I shouldn't go to this church Well, I'm not ready to make that decision. So I'm not going to tell you what's going on now. I'm, I'm enabling and, and protecting the people who are mistreating me. Yeah. And so you really want to pay, you know, if anybody's listening to this and you're like, man, I don't want to tell anybody the truth because the truth would probably threaten my ability to stay in this relationship or stay at this church. That's the thing you need to do is find a safe place to tell the truth Yeah. because something's wrong. If you cannot be transparent, reasonably transparent, about a relationship or a spiritual community. If you have to hide things, um, something's, there's already something that's not right.
0: We hope that you're enjoying this episode so far. If you're finding this conversation helpful, we want you to know that we have a dedicated app full of resources and opportunities to connect with people around the world who want to see God's kingdom expand right where they are. It's through the generosity of people just like you that we're able to offer everything for free. If you would like to begin partnering with us through a one-time gift or a recurring gift, you can do so at dwellings.info slash give or simply click the link in the podcast show notes. Thanks again for listening. Now let's get back to the conversation. I think that's super healthy uh, to find some friends on the outside, mm-hmm. and then sometimes we need friends on the inside if we're unsure what you know is up and what is down, and if there's a trusted person that would be confidential that has your good and the church's good in mind. Yep, where you can talk and say, "Am I am I seeing straight? Like, yep. do you sense the same thing?" Sometimes we have to do that. I think one trend I've noticed that doesn't feel healthy is a real public airing of grievances on, say, social media platforms Mm -hmm. uh, about wounds in the church that might not even have been healed in any way yet. They're open wounds and people just publicly uh, kind of processing with masses of people. That doesn't seem healthy. Um, How do we handle this publicly? Let's say someone listening uh, just left a church that Mm -hmm. is, um, has been unhealthy or has been abusive. How do we handle those sorts of issues publicly while still desiring to build up and encourage the whole bride? So Mm -hmm. we're wounded, but we still in general know we love the bride. We want to build up the church. How do we handle things publicly?
1: Yeah. I, I think that's a tough one. Um, because there's a lot going through my head. Some of it, my, my maturity, if I have a grievance, my maturity matters because I could have a grievance about something that is my problem. Does that make sense? Not every grievance is grounded in something fair or healthy. Yeah. And there've been plenty of pastors who've been abused by their congregation. I've, been so there, many Yeah, and, and so, so the many. myth is it goes in one direction. The myth is only the congregation gets hurt. But if anyone who's been in ministry knows nope, the pastor gets really hurt too, or the, the ministry staff gets hurt because there are just as many dysfunctional people in the congregation as there are potentially leading the church. But anyway, um, going public, it's an interesting thing because um there were times when you read the, the epistles that Paul goes public. Um, And he says, don't be around this person. There's something really wrong. So I'm not anti-public. I think there are times where you have predators and they're counting on you staying quiet and they're counting on you protecting them. But I think that's a last resort. I think that's something where you really work hard to make sure before you put someone on blast, have you had the hard conversations? Have you brought it, going back to Matthew 18? have you tried to address this with the right people? Have you, uh, you know, approached all the appropriate private channels first? And some people don't do any of those things. You know, they don't have any private conversations. They don't talk to the board. They don't address this maybe with other wounded people. um, And they go straight to a public platform. I don't think that's right or healthy. On the flip side, you and I have talked about this. There are some people who have you know, embedded in ministry for decades with a long line of damage because everybody thought it was gossip to say what was happening. Mm-hmm. The truth is, there are a lot of wounds in the church. If I can go off on a subject for a second, you know, in when you do counseling, you have to do continuing education units. And I had to do a lot of extra work on trauma recovery and specifically around sexual abuse. And one of the things you learn is the typical predator has about 150 victims. That's that's wow. like the median. So you have oh. less and you have more. Oh. So one person can do a lot of damage. So what? sometimes what we get nervous is, man, everybody in church is some kind of weirdo. You know what I mean? But the truth is that the bigger problem isn't that everybody's a weirdo. The bigger problem is when there is one we don't have good systems to clean that up and address right. that. And now we've let that one person do a whole lot of damage. Hmm. So I think when you've got someone who's got predatory behavior, especially exploiting people who are vulnerable, obviously children, people who are younger than them, new believers, people who are recently traumatized, maybe they've had a illness, a financial loss, a divorce. When you find that you've got someone who knows how to pick those people out and take advantage of them, it becomes important to I think if if you can't resolve that, begin to let people know, hey you want to be careful with that person because even Paul did that. there were people that he said be careful with that one um but that's again a last resort and that's an extreme measure. I think you'd mentioned it earlier, but we really often don't, um, take healthy steps toward just normal conflict resolution. We really don't have the courage at times just to have a tough conversation over coffee and go, hey, can we talk about that? Um, and sometimes we go all the way to, you know, meltdown where it's like, whole relationship. I haven't even told you what's wrong. I'm leaving the church. I've blown up the whole relationship. I haven't even given you a chance just to give me your perspective. Or make a change and now we've just gone nuclear on the whole thing like i think that's often a bigger problem and i think there are other moments where we know something's wrong and we don't give it appropriate public exposure um because we don't want to look gossipy so all of this going back to the bottom line it's wisdom discernment wise counsel multitude of counselors hey how do we address this how do we want to take care of this? Um, what's the next best step? Have we exhausted all our options? It's taking time and and going through a mature process and not being impulsive and not being extreme um, in one way or another.
0: That's very good. Yeah. I mean, I heard a couple of distinctions as you were talking. It seems like, you know, with the severity of the issue, I mean, let's take a sexual predator, that's never anything that we need to just keep under wraps because of the severity and the unhealth um, of of that issue. Also, I heard you saying, is this just something that's happened to me? Or is this something that could happen to 1000 more people? Um, You know, I guess the, the effect is that is this an individual wrong that was done to me or is this something that really needs to address because it's be addressed Mm -hmm. because it's about to potentially affect many more people and Mm -hmm. that just takes discernment from the spirit um yeah for us to know how to move forward but that's super helpful Kathleen all of this is just I'm, I'm gonna have to have you back on because I feel like we are just barely touching you know uh some some of the issues that Uh, Many people have had just with wounding in the church, but this is really helpful. I I think just to recap some things that I've heard from you are there is a difference between wounding and spiritual abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, If you need to go back and listen to that section from this podcast, I think it's really important just to have the right terminology Mm -hmm. to know that we're all going to be wounded in some ways. Um, But that's a little bit different than spiritual abuse, but they both hurt they mm-hmm. they can both hurt and cause damage. Uh but with either one of those, we don't need to walk alone. We need to find a trusted person or a few trusted people within or outside the church to be able to walk through it with us so we can even be able to uh discern what's really going on and and take steps forward. Counselors could be included in that group. And then we need to address things where appropriate with leadership with um you know, the person that has, has caused the wounding at times, but then also know when we need help in that. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Uh, in a nutshell at the end, what else to recap? Did I cover it? Yeah,
1: I think it's really helpful to hear that um, kind of, you know, kind of re-explained and, and in that way. I think the way that people get wounded is really a lack of agency. I was trying to find a better word, but Something happened and now I'm totally stuck and helpless and there's nothing I can do about it. That's really, and I'm isolated. Nobody believes me. I don't have any support. Those are where everybody's going to get hurt. And and they're just, you know, people out there who treat people terribly. Yeah. When a, a wounded person feels known, supported, validated, helped, and they have hope, like I That's not the end all be all of community. I have another community I can invest in. Even if I've had to learn through some of my own naivety, how to move forward and rebuild my community or my spiritual life or my church life, some kind of hope for the future is so important. And some sort of agency is so important. The challenge is once you're really, really hurt and you don't trust yourself and you don't trust the world, you tend to isolate. And it's from that place of isolation that those wounds tend to get, they really fester and they tend to get worse and worse. So going back to your point too, just continue reach out, find ways to connect with people that are trustworthy and understand where you've come from. And even if you have to have a very small circle for a while, have a circle of people to connect with and stay connected to hope. This Jesus walked through all of this. Um, He walked through every broken type of relationship you can imagine. I mean, the whole last, you know, the passion of Christ, everything he allowed himself to endure tells you a lot about human nature, what they did to him. And he knows how to bring life out of all this brokenness. Um, He knows how to give us hope and an abundant life in a future. Doesn't mean we're going to be able to avoid wounding, but we will be able to heal from wounding and, and it's really going to have to happen with some courage and help and community.
0: Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Because even though he was hurt by the people around him, he still chose to engage in perfect humanity. He had a spiritual family, he had community around him. And I think he did that as partially as a model, just to show us we do need it, even though it's hard, we -hmm. really do need family around us. Yeah. I have a lot of hope after our conversation, I think, because it feels like we have some tools to be able to, instead of just avoiding issues, just to be able to move through it. Because um, I know you would agree, I've been a part of some very healthy churches in my life, and you have too. There are lots of healthy communities. And right. so if you're listening and you're in a really tough situation, If you're, for instance, in a spiritual abuse situation, I do want to say that there's a lot of hope for you to recapture a healthy sense of spiritual family. Again, they're out there. You can find that just because you're in a really hard situation doesn't mean um, God's turned his back. He's grieving with you. It doesn't mean there's not hope. Doesn't mean you need to leave the church in general to be able to find healthy people. There are really healthy Spiritual families. Wouldn't you agree, Kathleen? Yes,
1: I do. I do agree. I think
0: that's great. I love it. Well, thank you so much. There's so much more that could be said, but I would encourage you just to follow Kathleen. She's very wise on not only this, but many subjects that help us in the church. Her Instagram handle is Kathleen A Doyle, D O Y L E. And she also has a consulting business, as we mentioned, for pastors and businesses. So if you're going through something like this as an organization and need help, uh, Kathleen has Kathleen Doyle consulting, and we'll put the information about her business in the show notes if you would like to contact her. But thank you, Kathleen, for coming on and addressing all this. Would you mind just praying for those that are listening that might be in a tough spot right now? Definitely. Lord, we just... Um...
1: Thank you that you didn't keep yourself away from these wounds and um, you mm-hmm. didn't distance yourself from the mess that we walk in, whether it's in our own souls or the people around us. And so, Lord, we just look to you to give us wisdom and hope to walk through injuries with each other Um, show us where, where anything might be our part that we can own it. But for those specifically who've been truly victimized and um, taken advantage of, deceived, um, treated poorly. Um, Lord, we just pray that you would speak hope and life over them and that you'd show them that you are bigger than the perpetrator. You're actually bigger than the institution that hurt them. And you've never stopped being God. And you know how to walk us through this stuff. And so we pray for hope. We pray for supernatural confidence and peace that you're with them. And Lord, I pray for community. I pray you open their eyes and ears to those around them that have integrity, that are sincere in their devotion to you, um, and who really do care about your word. They're not in this for attention or power or, or advantages. They really love the body of Christ. They really love you and your word. And so we just pray that you'd help each people find each other and heal together and become that city on a hill become the things that you want us to be thank you that your word is good your counsel is so wise Um, soften our hearts open our eyes and ears to receive what you've given us and become everything that you'd want us to be lord we ask this in your name amen